Gaming Beauty Podcast starts right now. Hello, everybody. What is going on? This is the Asmin and Budic Show. I'm Jake Asmin. He's Dan Budic. And we're back on the podcast once again. We're excited to be talking some sports. And we usually do talk a little pop culture. But on this show, later on, if you're a Fast 7 fan, a Fast Furious fan, make sure you're listening to the back end of the show. Both of us, Dan and I, and our executive producer, Jake Chernock, last week, went out to the movies. And we got a chance to see Fast 7. So we'll discuss the movie. We'll give our feedback on that. And we'll do that a little bit later in the program. But, Dan, how are you, my friend? Doing well. You know, it's been uh, the weather's changing up here in Ithaca. Better for worse. But... You know, it's nice to get a little warm weather in the last seven or eight days. And baseball's back. You couldn't tell if you were in Ithaca, New York, outside of maybe a two-day stretch where it was 65 degree one day. Then the very next day, it was snowing again in the 30s. And then the next day, it was 65 degrees. So you never never really know what you're going to get. And uh, you've said this before off the air. If you're in Ithaca, New York, you must check the weather every, every single day because it could be different. You never know what you're going to get. Every day. you got to check the weather. you got to make sure what it is at certain hours. Sometimes you leave in the morning, and then you get out of class in the afternoon, and it's hot. When you left in the morning, which is the absolute worst. You're preparing for the cold. You get out of class. It's hot, and then you know you can't go all the way back to the dorm room. A lot of times, you're stuck, and you got to sweat it out. And it's not always the most enjoyable feeling. Oh, it's brutal, especially when you're you're not you don't have time to get back to your room or wherever you live to change, and you're stuck in you know in sweatshirt and, and a jacket and sweatpants, and it's you know becomes 60 degrees out at noon. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. That's why I think there should be uh, every day an email sent out from. From Ithaca College with the weather report every day. <laughs> and since we last did a show transitioning into the sports, Duke beat Wisconsin for the national championship. We both picked Duke, I believe, on the program, yeah, so we got yeah. so we got that game correct. We had both had Kentucky winning the whole thing, but you know, getting to Kentucky, seven Kentucky players declared for the NBA draft That's today, including Towns, including Cauley Stein. So Kentucky, the team that some people thought could maybe beat an NBA team, which I thought was ridiculous, seven players from that team have declared for the NBA draft, and that's 85.7% of the team scoring this season is going to the NBA draft, so Calipari is going to certainly have to retool. I question what their combined GPA was, but well... That's a different story. But, you know, these these guys are athlete students and not student athletes, but I was about to say it's a conversation for a different day, but we're actually going to dive into that because... I, what I thought was very interesting were Mark Cuban's comments that he came out with either yesterday or earlier today, talking about college basketball and the state it's in and how awful it is. And as someone who likes the NBA game a lot more than I like college basketball, I happen to agree with what a lot of what Mark Cuban said. First off, he was questionable of the 35-second shot clock, which I am too. I think it's boring. It slows down the pace of the game, and there's a lot of nothing going on from the perimeter for most of the possession. And I agree with Mark Cuban on that one. I think the 35-second shot clock doesn't prepare the college player for the NBA game, and I think that's why the NBA game suffers from a poor college-level game as well. And then he also touched on the low scoring, which can be directly attributed to the fact that teams can slow down possessions when there's a 35-second shot clock. Yeah, I, I agree. I think 35-second shot clock's ridiculous. Uh, also, you know, we talked about it off the air and on the air, the one-and-done rule. It's terrible. It's terrible for not only uh, in the NBA, it's terrible for college basketball. You know, if these guys want to, in my opinion, if they're in high school, they're seniors in high school, and they're good enough to play in the NBA, and they want to declare for the NBA draft, I think they should be allowed to. Get guys in college that are willing to be there a couple of years and, and you know, be part of a short building 
you know, to build a program for a couple of years, to build a, a winning team for three or four years if you're there in college. It's not enough of that. What do you see? You see guys go to a team, they spend they spend seven months playing basketball there, and that's it. And then they go to the NBA. It's just it's terrible. I think if these guys want to play basketball in the NBA and be paid to do it out of high school, they should be allowed. But if you want them to go to college and you want everyone to go to college, they have to spend at least two years in college. At least. And some would say even three. And the problem with the one-and-done rule is, and you said it, Dan, when these guys show up, they go for a year, and then they go right to the NBA. Not only are they not ready to be NBA players in most cases, but you can never really get attached to building a rivalries in these programs. Agree, yeah. Like when the Big East was great, and you had Patrick Ewing going against Mullins every single Chris Mullen every single year. You know that's as good as it gets. When you had a Christian Leitner stay in school for four years, win national championships, go against the Fab Five. That's what made college basketball so special. Now you get guys like Kyrie Irving or Anthony Davis. They're in for a year and they leave, and you never get the see what they're like in college and you know what if the guys are ready to play in the NBA at a high school, let them go to the NBA because it's hard to get attached to college basketball when the players are changing every single year and I have a big problem with the coaches of these schools being the big stars of the sport. I that agree. can't be. It should be about the players, not about the coaching, and that's a major flaw with college basketball, and I get it. A lot of people are going to disagree with our points on this. A lot of people love college basketball, and they don't like the NBA, but listen to a different podcast because that's not the case. I don't enjoy the college game. I enjoy March Madness, the month of basketball, the NBA NCAA tournament, I think that is great to watch and to listen to the games and fill out a bracket. But overall, you know, it, the regular season for the college game means absolutely nothing when 68 teams are making the NCAA tournament. That's another issue. No, I agree, and I think it it means. I mean, it means something for those teams that are like the middle teams in, in college. Band. But do we even know who's well, playing on Iona? No, you don't know those storylines. On Mercer, it doesn't matter until, until March, until the tournament starts. And if the guy, if a team goes on the run, there's always a storyline of a of a of a story of a player of a team, the chemistry. The, you know, that always comes out every single year. I agree, though. I think the one and done rule is ridiculous. I think if these guys want to, if they feel that they're good enough to go to the NBA right out of high school, they should be allowed to declare. But if they choose to go to college, they have to be there two years. Because I think it takes away from the experience of, of, of a college basketball team. And I agree with you. To, for the coaches to be the stars of the teams, it's ridiculous. It should be about the players. And the problem is it can't be about the players when every year, you know, every year Kentucky's thrown out a different starting five. Every single year they have a different starting five for the last five years. It, it's ridiculous. It is really ridiculous. And it's just it just it, it's very hard to get attached to a team or attached to a rivalry when they change every year. Two years ago, Kentucky wasn't even in the tournament, and this year they were 38 and 0, two wins away from being the, an undefeated. Kentucky team. two years ago lost in the first round to Robert Morris of the NIT or tournament. The NIT tournament. And what happened was the year later they're in the national championship game, and this year they were 38 and 0. And everything you said is 100 percent correct. The problem with college basketball is these players just don't stay. And I don't have a problem with them wanting to make a living and support their families and go to the NBA. Be my guess. But for anyone to try and justify this idea that they're getting an education, I mean, it's all nonsense. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, and I'm tired of it. And Mark Cuban's right when he says it's ruining the NBA because you have players coming in that aren't ready to be NBA players, and by default, you're watering down the game. And you know what? Anthony Davis, who is now in his third year in the NBA and arguably one of the best young players in the league, he would have been a senior this year at Kentucky. Yeah. He would still be in college if these guys stayed in school like they used to back in the day. Kyrie Irving, the same thing. He would have been a senior, I think, last year or the year before. It wasn't that long ago 
when he came out after just playing, what, 14 games at Duke? And that's it. It just, listen, you give credit to Coach K and John Calipari because they have they have adapted with the times. They recruit the one-and-done guys, and there's nothing wrong with that. Their job is to win. That's what they're paid to do, and they do that. But when you look at the game as a whole, it's hard to get heavily involved as a casual college basketball fan as I am. There's so many flaws with it, and going to Ithaca College and not a school like Syracuse or Ohio State or Florida, just Wisconsin or Duke, to name some of these big-time basketball rah-rah schools, it's hard to get invested unless you have a direct affiliation with that school. That's at least the way I feel. So the actual game of college basketball, unless it's March Madness, it's just not that enjoyable for me to watch. For someone like you, like you're saying, and for like me too as a casual college basketball fan, I turn on a game and for the most part, I really don't know any players. I, I you don't outside of the big names you see on Sports Center, you turn on a regular game, you know, whether it's, you know, Wisconsin just going back to middle of the season, you probably don't know half the guys until you get around the tournament time and then since they're so blown up everywhere because they're making waves through the tournament and they're getting their way to the final four, paving their way to the final four, then you start to know these guys and hear their stories and what kind of years they've had. But up until that point, you don't know these guys. You you can't get attached to a team that has a different roster every year that is a different starting five every year. Who knows how good Kentucky's going to be this year? The team that won 38 games this year. In 39 games, they won 38 of them. That's unbelievable. And you're not even going to know if they're going to be halfway decent until they're until you know who's committed to come next. And game. seven, we just said at the top of the show, seven it's players left to the going of the NBA. Which team was it that scored 69 points and 60, 60 of them were by, was that Kentucky? That was Duke in oh, the national Duke. championship game. Yeah, let's put it okay, like this, Duke, Duke, who, Duke, who some people don't realize, Coach K, he recruits one-and-done players, and there's nothing he wrong. He to. They, they will win. But there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea that Duke doesn't do the one-and-done, they get nonsense. 60 of their 69 points, Dan, in that national championship game were scored by freshmen. Grayson, um... You name it, Okafor had eight points. And obviously, you know, at the end of the day, Duke won the game fair and square, all the credit to them. But I thought touching on the national championship game for a second, Bo Ryan's comments at the end of the game saying, oh, we don't recruit these rental players. You lost to a better team. Coach K outcoached you. That's the bottom line. But the actual state of college basketball, it's a problem. And I think Mark Cuban's comments are spot on. I really agree with everything he said. Well, I because I think a big problem is, and Jake, we talked about this, is you're never going to see a team like you saw in the early, like UNLV, go on a run to the Final Four. It's just not going to happen anymore because pretty much in in the tournament and these players are really going to six teams. You know, the, these top-tier talents are getting recruited to play at 16. Because think about it. If you want to play one year in college basketball, you want a chance to win a national championship. And you're going to go to the best team that recruits you. And you're going to go to a team that's going to play on ESPN every night like Duke does, like Kentucky does. Gives you a chance to get your highest draft pick possible the following year yeah. in the NBA. And Calipari does a great job of saying, hey, if you come to Kentucky, you will play in the NBA. And he's right. Seven players are going to the NBA draft, and they will all be drafted. And another issue, when we were comparing St. John's because of the local team there where we live, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult. for Chris, Chris Mullen to come in and recruit guys to play for a rebuilding program in St. John's. St. John's is decent. They've made the tournament. But it's still going to be difficult for them to advance far in the NCAA tournament one day when you're trying to build a program and guys can just go to nope, Duke, nope. guys can show to Kentucky, stay for a year, and then go right to the NBA. There's no, 
the the analogy of building a program for the most part is dead in college basketball. It's ve- you, outside those big time schools. They're not building a program. They're building. A, they're every year. They're building a team. Like Wisco- building- Wisconsin doesn't always happen. Like, that's a once every couple of year type of thing that you get a guy in a Frank Kaminsky that's going to play three years of college ball. That doesn't always it just doesn't happen. happen. No, these guys go pro. These guys go pro, and like I said, these teams like Kentucky are in building a program, so to speak. You know, John Calipari does a great job in every year recruiting and building a team every year. He's got to build a team. It's a very difficult job that he has to go out and recruit. Ver- a hundred- he has to go all out on recruiting every single year. And what he has to do as well is when he gets these guys to, to be recruited, he has to get them to buy into the team That's concept. Right. All these guys are McDonald's All-Americans. Kentucky had eight McDonald's All-Americans on their team this year. He has to get them to buy in, sacrifice their own personal statistics for the betterment of the team. That's not an easy job. So the idea that Cal Parry doesn't do any coaching, I don't buy that. You have to be a great recruiter, which he is, but you also have to be able to coach and Cal Perry is a very good coach. He gets a bad reputation in some aspects for that. He's a very good coach. To have a team go 38-0, I don't care what league you're in, that's very impressive. Oh, it's unbelievable, but it's just the fact that to go to show you is, you know, you say they're 38-0, I mean, you don't know what they're going to be like now. You don't know what the team looks like next year. It's just that. Even Duke, you don't know if Tyus Duke. Jones, who was the MVP exactly. of the championship game, if he's going to stay. We talked about Okafor before. He might be the number one overall pick. Okafor's gone. He's not. You know, it's a, it's a shame, too, because you want to see these guys grow in college basketball. Because think about it. I mean, I'm sure Jaleel Okafor is going to be a great pro no matter what. But think about how much better he would be if he had a few years, more years in college for seasoning. Patrick Ewing had four years at Georgetown. He came out of the NBA. He came at. He came with the first pick for the Knicks in 1985, and he lit the NBA on fire right away. Because well, he had four that, years of experience. That's what I'm saying. Is there are so many guys taken in the top ten in the NBA draft? I feel like five through ten don't even have an impact on their team. You know, it's like the top three or four picks, yeah, they'll have an impact on their team. Yeah, Jabari Parker had an impact before he got hurt with Milwaukee. But think about it. Picks five through ten. They most mostly they don't have an impact. It takes time. They're not going to have the impact that they would they're maybe. Eighteen year old. They're eighteen years old. They still have to grow into their bodies. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just it's you're asking a lot, but think about well, it. Well, what you're saying is the five through ten picks that they're freshmen. They may not have an impact right away, oh, yeah. but if they're a little more experienced, they will have some sort of yeah, an impact. That's what I'm saying. In the and it makes it harder for teams to decide who to take because you got to project development exactly. and and not go by what you've seen in college because they don't stay in college. Well, I think if you look at and one of the point I was making is if you look at the college basketball over the last couple of years. You look at picks five through ten. I mean, they they they're typically freshmen, and they don't typically have that big impact uh, that you saw maybe ten years ago that uh, that a rookie would have. I, I picked in the same spot. Really, it's the top four picks. They're because they're they are the top four picks. They're no doubters that everyone knows. Whether it was John Wall back in the day, or whether it was Jabari Parker this year, it saw what he did in such a little time, or what people are saying about Jaleel Okafor. So I think college basketball is in a very difficult state because it's very tough to get a viewership on these on these rivalries when you're really the only thing that's a rival is just the team name. The players are different every single year. And that's why the coaches are the only constant because exactly. they're the ones that are there. People get attached to the coaches. That's why you see it, it's it's always Bayheim, Krzyzewski, Calipari. You know, that's, when you think of Kentucky and Duke, those are the guys you think of. Maybe 30 years ago, when you thought of Georgetown 25 years ago, you thought of Patrick Ewing. 
the game is different. The way college basketball is is different. And, it, it, you know, a lot of people think it's for the better. I don't. I think it's for the worse. Listen, you're always going to have your college basketball fan. But I'm talking for someone like us that doesn't have a team that we die hard root for, doesn't have a, a well, Duke that we... That's why, that's why I don't care. And the people are like, oh, how can you not? Because like, you have a team you root for. I don't. I didn't go to Ohio State. I don't go to Duke. I don't go to UNC. I don't have that rivalry to be a part of. I have Ithaca Cortland. Woo. You know what I mean? Like, at the, at the Division three level. So, come on now. Yeah, it's very hard to get attached to this because you want to know where, we, where the real athletic stuff comes from? The Division 2 and the Division 3 level where these guys are staying in school. Exactly. Where the rivalries mean something. They're playing for the sport, not because they want to go pro. I uh, know. I agree. I think it's much I, different I, at that I, level. Yeah, well, because there, there's no money involved. Absolutely. Really, if you're playing Division 3 college basketball, you're not going to go pro. You know, you're doing it because you love basketball. And I, you know, I'm not saying no, you know, that the Division One level guys don't love basketball, but when you're going in for one year and then you're leaving, you're really just trying to pad in your way to get to the NBA. What what program is going to give you the best opportunity to get seen on national TV, best opportunity to possibly win a national championship, and go to the NBA? That That's what it's all about. And, and with Julia Okafor, listen, the guy wanted to win a national championship, went to Duke, won a national championship, he'll be in the NBA next year. It was the same thing with Carmelo Anthony and Syracuse. Carmelo Only Melo could have went out right from high school. He chose to go to Syracuse for a year. And he chose to go to Syracuse for a year. I, you know what's interesting, though? If they didn't win a national championship, would he have gone back? Who knows? That's a thing, because you think about it. like you. Win I bet he would have left regardless. Like, well, yeah, but I'm thinking, like, you never know. If he would have won, if he won the win a national championship that bad, if he would have stayed another year to try to win that. Well, it's very rare that you get like the Harrison twins in Kentucky yeah. that losing the national championship last year, last year, and they and they came back for their sophomore season. Same thing with Kaminsky; he could have left last year when the team went to the Final Four against Kentucky, lost, but he came back for his senior season. Doesn't always work out that way, and the majority of it, the majority of this stuff. Listen, these guys are going to leave. They're going to go pro. They're going to go to the NBA. That's what it comes down to. It's, yeah, and it's, it, it hurts college basketball, and it hurts the viewership of college basketball because you don't, you don't, you don't attract that casual fan. You're only attracting the diehard fans, the alumni, the people that really have some sort of tie to the school. And that's what that's the direction of college basketball. You don't have the casual fans that turn on a game because they want to see a great you know, this guy matched up against this guy. It's not like that anymore. No, it doesn't. It was. It, it's not anymore. You kind of had it with Kaminsky versus Ogafer, but you had that for just one game. You don't have that rivalry. And, yeah. you know, I talked about Christian Leitner earlier. Our producer, Jake Chernock, made a point off the air to us about it as well. You're not going to have that Christian Leitner versus the Fat Five. And I said it, you're not going to have Chris Mullen versus Patrick Ewing for four years going at it in the Big East. The game is much different now, and I guess you just have to accept it. I don't particularly love college basketball. I'll watch the NCAA tournament, but that's about as far my fandom's gonna go towards the sport. And, and another thing is, is um, just uh, a couple years ago when Syracuse moved to the ACC, and the big story was, oh, we get Syracuse Duke. Well, you get Bayheim Shashevsky because the players are change every year. So it's not like you're getting attached to these players and the rivalry between the players and the matchup. What did they do last year against each other? It's like it's all up in the air. The only thing that's a constant is the head coach. Is that you're gonna get Bayheim versus Shashevsky? That's the only thing with Syracuse Duke. Is that Shashevsky's gonna come to the dome? And Bayheim's gonna go out to to to, um, to Cameron Indoor. That's the only constant. So I, that's a big and that's a problem when you're watching college basketball. You want to be attached to the players, not the coaches, and it's just not the case. It's just not the case anymore with the way it's structured and just how the one and done rule is in place. Guys go in for one year and then they they bail, and it's they want to make their money. I understand, but they, if that's the case, just let them go out of high school. It was like that way forever. 
Let them go out of high school. If they're that good, then they'll be that good. And, it, co- go and it comes back to the point. You either let them go out of high school or they got to stay like in the NFL for three years. Or Two or three years. There's least. no balance. Letting guys stay for one year is so pointless. It changes the way the game is played. Guys will only go to the big-time schools where they know they're going to go right to the NBA as soon as they finish that one season of eligibility. No, exactly. They're going to go right to the NBA. And it's a, you, made, you made a good point. It's about the team that's going to give them the most chance to play on ESPN, on CBS, the national televised games, and then you know, play in the Final Four, play in the Elite Eight, Final Four, and then actually Whatever happens in the tournament happens, like Jabari Parker last year, uh, Duke lost to Mercer, end of discussion, going right to the NBA. It's very rare you get a Frank Kaminsky or you get the Harrison brothers to come back. It's rare. That does not happen that often. The majority, 95% of the time, these guys leave after a year if they're good enough to be NBA players and they go right to the draft. Well, think about it, and if you think about it with Jaleel Okafer, if he went out of high school, he probably still would have been very highly drafted. He was very highly regarded at high school. Big recruit. I don't know if he would have been the number one overall pick, but he would have gone very high. At Now, after one season, he's a national champion, projected number one overall pick. What if he goes back and gets hurt? It, it, that it, it, it's very. That's why it's like that you could really see both sides. These players. See, the problem is you can't blame the players no, for leaving. Blame, They're going to get paid. System. It's, it's the, the system. system. It's not the players. And just like you can't blame John Calipari for recruiting one-and-done players or Coach K for recruiting one-and-done players, their job is to win national championships, to have the best possible team. And if the one-and-done players give them that chance, they're going to do it. Coach K just won a ring, and 60 points of his 69 points, 69 total points in that championship game were scored by fresh. And are probably going to leave. And the majority of them, the majority of them are will leave. be leaving. It's just it's the way of the game, and I, you know, I agree with a lot of the things Mark Cuban said. It's 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 poisoning the NBA because you get these watered down players that maybe aren't necessarily ready for the NBA. Not everyone's ready to go pro after a year. They might think they are, but they're not, and they're in it for the for the payday. It should it, there should be more of a structure. There should be more of a balance between getting guys into the NBA that are ready than just getting a freshman into the NBA because he was a great college player for one year. It's just that balance is not there. And until they find that balance, it's going to be much of the same. And we're going to continue to have this conversation. And people are going to be pro one and done rule. They love what it is now. And the people that aren't, that's just the way it is. And you're just going to see more of these 18-year-old players lighting up the Final Four and then next year in the NBA. Listen, that's the nature of the game. And you just got to accept it for what it is. It is. It's a, it really is a shame. It's an absolute shame. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Prince Fielder does some interesting things to get ready for a baseball game. We'll touch on that, and we'll also touch on the new Fast 7 movie that we both saw, and we'll discuss that a little bit later in the program. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Asmir Budic Show right here on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again Damn, who knew All the planes we flew Good things we've been through That I'll be standing right here Talking to you about You are listening to the Asman and Beauty Podcast On ICTV.org and on iTunes Had to switch up Look at things different See the bigger picture Those were the days Hard work forever pays Now I see you in a better place See you in a better place Ah. Uh. Welcome back to the Asman and Budic Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budic. Lots to get to on the program. We said we were going to touch on Fast 7. We'll do that a little bit later in the segment. But we begin with Prince Fielder. And for those who don't know, Prince Fielder is currently a member of the Texas Rangers. They took that egregious contract off the Detroit Tigers' hands and 
He got traded last offseason for Ian Kinsler. Fielder got hurt last year, so he's still working his way back. But he has a very interesting pregame routine that we wanted to touch on on the program. Prince Fielder squats his own teammates before every game to help him get ready for a baseball game. I'm not quite sure how that helps you, Dan, but you played baseball a lot more than I did. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. You played all. at the JV level for a sass at high school. I did, and I don't know what that's all about. I guess it's some weird tradition he has, like, Jason Giambi used to wear a thong. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think it's very bizarre, but whatever helps him hit home runs, I guess, for the Texas Rangers, I, I really don't know. So you're not quite sure how exactly that might help him perform better? I, on I'm, I'm curious in how he selects which players he has on his back. Is it the same players every week? Uh, well, I'm looking at the article on Deadspin right now. It's a very bizarre ritual. It's a really bizarre ritual, but... I, I'm thinking if does he he must have the same players every week. Otherwise, it's not really it's just... It, it, it's not really as much of a ritual if he doesn't have the same players on his back every week, every game. Uh, well. Either way, it's very bizarre. He had roughened odor on his back. Um, there are two roughened odors who play for the Rangers, and they're brothers. So That's bizarre in and of itself, but... That's pretty weird which player he specifically had on his It's also back. weird he wears number 84. I find that very weird, That's too. a very high number for baseball. It, for a premier slugger to wear number 84... It's Does that bother you? It, it is weird. It's a spring training number that you give like a, 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 call, a call up you give, or a Yankee. You give a Yankee yeah, that number because like there's, there's none left. Uh, 84 is very weird. After I find the Yankees it are very weird number. O'Neill this summer. They're retiring Jorge Posada. Oh, they're gonna they're retiring 21. O'Neill's getting retired or just honored in Monument Park. Actually, that's a good question. No, I know I, Bernie's getting. No, it's Bernie. Bernie's, Bernie's getting you know, retired. Bernie's 51 is being retired. Um... And Posada's number 20 is being retired, as well as Andy Pettit's And they're just putting a plaque for O'Neill, right? I think he's getting a plaque. He's getting a plaque, okay. And so, getting a plaque as well is the magnificent former Mets manager, Willie Randolph. I, was, I can't believe he didn't have one already. I it, thought he had one already. It's very interesting who gets a plaque, who doesn't get and a plaque. And when they get a who's plaque. Who's been honored, who hasn't been honored. The Yankees are very all over the place with this stuff. Like, just last year, they honored Tino Martinez. He's been out of baseball for 10 years. I I'm surprised. I mean, look at Willie Randolph. I thought Willie Randolph already had a monument. monument. Not retired, but I thought he already had a monument out there. I, I was surprised that he didn't. I, You know, for a guy that was a really a great Yankee, won World Series with the Yankees, a captain of the Yankees. You know, really was a tremendous second baseman for a lot of years for the Yankees. And he was the third base coach under Joe Torre in the 90s. Yeah, right. The Yankees were winning championships as part of the 90s dynasty. So he was part of a a lot of great Yankee history. I'm very surprised that he didn't already. Well, Jackson only played five years for the Yankees, and his number's retired. That's true, too. Two two rings, though. Yep. That was right. Two rings in five years, and, uh, you know, he was the straw that stirred the drink. So, I mean... (laughs) So Reggie was a great Yankee, too, in his short time period with the Yankees. But it, it is very weird how they choose. You're right, Tito Martinez got honored last year, and he's been out of baseball. And, you know, Paul O'Neill's been out of baseball for a while, too. And no one wears number 21 for the Yankees. They don't let that number be worn by anyone. Well, and no one's worn Bernie's number. But it's not retired. Has anyone worn Bernie's? No, no, no one has worn, worn Bernie's number. as well, and that number is g- going to be retired. Oh, Randy Johnson? No, they made him change. Oh, they made Randy Johnson. What number did Randy wear when he played with the Yankees? Randy Johnson wore 41. Yeah, Randy Johnson was 41 with the Yankees. He okay, was. yeah. Because that would be the only player that For those would... who couldn't hear, that was our producer, Jay Chernock, off mic. Giving but was us Bernie the, on the, the team? Info. Was Bernie on the team when... when Bernie played with the Yankees till the 2006 season. So then the, they gave him a spring training invite in 2007. He didn't want any part of that, and he never officially retired. He had always to, the running okay, joke. Okay, but, but what I'm saying is I, Bernie was on that team with Randy Johnson. Yes, he was. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was on that team with Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson was a Yankee in 05 and 06. 05 and 06, right. For those two years. And he won he was, 17 games both years. Yeah. He, no, no. And then they traded him back to the Diamondbacks, right? They did. Right. Right. I, I remember. Yeah. So Bernie's number is getting retired. O'Neill's getting honored. It is very weird how they pick and choose. It is very weird because there's no like set years you need to be out of baseball. Because they're well, if they, you could do that, you're the team. You're no, the no, no, but I'm just saying the Yankees don't really have a have a consistent policy. No, they, it's kind of whenever they feel. It's like kind of it. whenever they feel like. And it. well, what's, whatever's going to bring people to the ballpark. Well, I, I guess so. But you know what's interesting too? Number two is not retired technically either, and there's been no plans for a Derek Jeter day. So we're not sure when number well, two I, uh, eventually will be, uh, will be, they will. Obviously, it's going to be retired. No one's saying that Jeter's number two isn't going to be retired. But I find it interesting that they're retiring everyone else first. And then they're going to get the Jeter. How long is Derek Jeter, arguably the most important Yankee in the last 25 years, how long is he going to have to wait? Until uh, they uh, probably his a couple of years. I mean, well, maybe they think because he just retired last year, maybe give it a little buffer room before you honor him. Well, well but here's the thing they retired Mariano Rivera's number 42 while he was still playing. And I'm not talking about Jackie Robinson's 42. I'm talking no, about Mariano. Mariano got his too. own number out in Monument Park. I really don't know. It's very weird. See, they, they, it, my it, whole point is the yeah. Yankees' policies on whether or not they're going to retire a number or how they're going to retire a number or even when they're going to retire a number varies all the time. Maybe they have, they have very something very special in the works for Jeter next year or the year after. Well, I, I don't you know. know they're going to do a whole thing for Well, Derek you know Jeter, Jeter will have a whole uh, a week. There'll be a week where they'll retire his number every day. Just like the, the Jim Beheim retirement tour has three years of it now. Uh, three years of Jim Beheim retirement tour. But he also... It, they also get he, he'll miss the first nine ACC games next year. It's important year. to note that Michael Schwartz, who's going to be a senior here at Ithaca College next year, he's going to get a retirement tour as well. A retirement tour. They're retiring uh, actually the suit he wore that he wore for Newswatch. They're retiring it in the uh, in the building. They're going to put it right next to the David Mirror set. Right out in the uh, out in the hallway here at Ithaca College. But it's very weird the way the Yankees do it. There's no real set schedule. There's no set years you need to be retired. It's all, it's all when they feel like it, I guess. It's kind of kind of just how it works. It's kind of just how it works. The Yankees really do whatever they want. So we started talking about Prince Fielder doing some squats. Oh yeah, it's kind of moved and, along. Uh, we got we got a little off task there, but it was a pretty productive conversation, I'd say. Well, yeah, and going back to the Prince Fielder thing with the number, the eighty four. It's very weird he wears, and it's very weird that he keeps people on his back. I, I don't know these baseball players that do very weird things, such as Moises Alou. Yeah, he, he peed on his hands. He would pee. He never wore batting gloves, and he would pee on his hands before the game to, I guess, make him rough and hold the bat. I don't see how that works. I don't know I've either. Never on my hands before, though. No, and then there was a rumor that... How do you even just, hold on, let me ask How do you even discover that that is a mechanism for, quote-unquote, roughening your hands? Well, that that must be like an old-time baseball thing that I guess his father, Felipe, showed him. I don't know. Is that his father? Yeah, Felipe Alou. All right, you didn't just make that up? No, Felipe Alou managed the, managed right. the, uh, managed the Giants from before uh, before they brought in Bruce Bochy. Felipe. All right, so uh, Felipe. Uh, I don't. I don't know, but it's very weird. I didn't. Jorge Posada's rumored to do. We had done it, but, but we he, have no proof. We that. Have, there's no proof. There's no one. No one has seen him. Derek's never seen him. There's never been an open conversation that this happened. You can look at Derek Jeter to try and talk about that one. You can look at Derek Jeter to talk about anything. Yeah, exactly. Derek Jeter is the master of saying nothing, but letting you think that you're getting something. Letting you think you're getting something, and we still the whole, we don't even have a real reason why he, he had a home married. He was going to get married. Uh, we thought it was going to be at Ohika Castle, well, it, right down the road from where we live and, on Long Island. And then it fell apart, and he never even. I don't think he's ever commented no, on no it. No one. I don't know where that rumor came from, but it just died. It wasn't even. I don't even think it was a rumor. He's I think not even it was a with fact. Mika Kelly anymore. He's now dating Hannah Davis of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I, I don't. 
don't know who where was the cover girl this year. Right, and she's also Rough on that. She's also live. on that commercial with the horse now, as I noticed a few nights ago. There's a commercial with a horse. I don't know what it's for, but Hannah Davis <laughs> is on it. <laughs> let us uh, let us know if you figure out what it's for. I I, I saw it if twice. If you know what I, it's for, and you're still listening at this point, send us a tweet at the Asman and Budic Show. Yeah, it's Hannah Davis. So he's dating Hannah Davis. Used to date Minka Kelly. And they were going to get married. It's, but no one asked Derek about it. It's like, you know, it's like people are afraid to ask him things because they know they're not going to get a real answer. Yeah. You're, you're never going to get a straight answer from Derek Jeter. You never see him in the public either. No. he. Uh, well, he's very good at, you know, maintaining a low profile. There was actually a story, I think it was in page six, it might have been last year it came out, that if you're a guest at Derek Jeter's house, the minute you enter his home in Tampa, you have to put your cell phone. Oh, direct TV. It's a direct TV spot with Hannah Davis on it. And there is a horse, as Jake Chernock showing us right here. Okay, so it was a direct TV She's spot. riding a horse. Hannah in the Davis commercial. riding a horse. Yeah, I have a very dirty joke, but I won't make it on this podcast. Anyway, um, just getting back to what I was saying, if you go to Derek Jeter's house, there was a story in page six of the Post, you had to put your cell phone immediately in a bin. Really? So no pictures, no social media, nothing could be published or taken of his house. Derek Jeter's the master of keeping a low profile, keeping his private life from getting into the public light. And I wonder if you'll see maybe. I wonder since he's retired now, probably not. If you maybe get a little more info on Derek's life. Nothing's come out yet. Nothing's come out yet. But I, the I, one thing that did come out was uh, he was in Japan. Right, I, w- with Hideki Matsui right, a couple a, days ago, I, I was, right? Uh, a week a ago, a couple weeks before the season started. A couple weeks ago, yeah, maybe about two weeks. And he was supporting a charity that were raising money for the tsunamis affected a couple years ago. I think it was in 2011, the 2011 tsunami that really crushed parts of Japan. So he was out there with Matsui raising money for a cause and participating in a charity baseball game where Matsui was the manager of a Japanese team, Jeter was the manager of an American team, and it was supposed to raise money. And I know ESPN's Instagram had a picture of Derek Jeter looking very confused at a sumo wrestling event in Japan with Hannah Davis. Of course, she was not on the horse, but she was at that event. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Der- Derek's has always been very mysterious with his life. He's been he's done a great job at, for, in, in such a big market, everyone ever said. He did such a great job at keeping such a low profile. Out of everything Derek Jeter's ever accomplished, maintaining a low profile while playing for the New York Yankees in the biggest media market in the country... We're playing very as long impressive. As he did. That's probably the most impressive thing he's ever done. I mean, considering considering uh, some of the other players that have played in this town, that have played in New York City, I mean, they would be on in social media all the time. J.R. Smith. I mean, every night he, you would see his his drunk tweets. Well, J.R. Smith's J.R. Smith. No, but I'm just I'm just saying, like, it's just it goes to show, you know, not even a slip up, not even one uh, a picture that got out. I can or, think of another athlete that's done a phenomenal job of that, and he still probably has another. Eight or nine years left in the league. Eli Manning. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, quarterback for the New York Giants are winning two Super Bowl rings. He's done an outstanding job of keeping a low profile and not being involved in any off the field controversy thus far. I know. And look at you know Geno Smith drafted a couple years ago, refused to shut off his phone on a plane. It was a big story. And he had a a nude pick scandal as well. If you're right, the nude pick scandal. Yeah. So it's crazy. Some of these these guys, they don't. don't None of these guys know how. They don't get it. They they can't keep a low profile. They can't even. They do stupid things. They get out on Twitter and it gives them a bad look. Even that Harvey, who said that he wants to be like Derek Jeter, he's had some off the field issues as well. That's true too. Being on public partying or posing naked for the ESPN the magazine shoot, which that's obviously not something illegal. What he's doing, but a couple people. It's nothing Derek. do. Yeah, Derek Jeter. If you want to emulate Derek Jeter, as you said, he ha- wants to in the past. I don't think Derek Jeter would ever appear nude in a, in a or in a magazine. Never. 
Never. It may be A-Rod, but not Jeter. That's an A-Rod thing. Uh, that, that is an that A-Rod, is an A-Rod, A-Rod thing. thing. I wouldn't be surprised if, the next, if, if A-Rod has a great year this year, the next ESPN, the magazine, A-Rod will be naked. I'm sure everyone would love that. Well, I'm, you know, and I really hope A-Rod has a great year this year. You want to see him naked? Well, no, no, but I, in general, I hope he has a great year because it, it, the story with A-Rod, it's enough, but I, I really hope he has a great year. I hope well, he hits 30 home runs. Well, I don't know if he's going to hit 30 home runs, but we've said this on the show before. If he hits 15 home runs, gives him 75 to 80 RBIs, the Yankees would be ecstatic. They yeah, love it. I, no, I agree. Yeah, A-Rod, as we sit here right now and record this podcast, he's hitting number two in the Yankees lineup tonight in their third game of the season. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm so sure. When was the last time he hit number two in a lineup? Probably, I, I could look that up, but I'm probably a very long time ago. Yeah. He went from hitting number seven, then moving him up to number two. They're going to put split up Gardner and Ellsbury, put him at one and nine in the lineup. Interesting move from Joe Girardi, but let's think about this for a second. David Wright and Alex Rodriguez, who throughout their entire careers have either hit three or four, both the number two hitters in the lineup for the Yankees and the Mets. Think about that. Yeah, David Both hit. Former third, well, A-Rod's the former third baseman. David Wright, obviously, still mans the position for the Mets. But the two third basemen in New York for the past 10 years, or more than 10 years with A-Rod and Wright already, for the past 15 years almost, hit number two in the order. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting tweaks in the lineup. A lot of teams, you know, moving their power hitters up to, to two in the lineup, get, trying to get more offense from the first two spots. But... You know, typically those are really on base. Number two as well. Yeah, typically, yeah. The Angels are doing a two-way trout. Typically, two is really an on-base position. You put you put your guy that's going to get on base the most. However, there was a study that came out, and I forget where I saw this, that the number two hitter in the lineup actually statistically gets more RBI opportunities than the number three or four hitter, or than the number three. That's interesting because typically your number three hitter is your best hitter. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that they get more RBI opportunities. Well, David had a couple RBI opportunities this afternoon as the Mets won today uh, 6-2 on this fine Thursday afternoon beating the Nationals. But, no, it's interesting hitting right second, hitting A-Rod second. And, you know, even even when we get a chance to see A-Rod play, Play first, I think it'll be interesting too. It just giving Joe Girardi more options to put him. But let's talk a little fast seven now. We just rambled about somehow we went from Prince Fielder's number eighty four and doing squatting. We're all over the place. To Hannah Davis riding a horse to A Rod maybe posing naked. We were all over the place, but we'll get back on track right now. Let's talk about Fast Seven a little bit. Great for, movie for someone that hasn't seen every single Fast and Furious movie. I've only seen a hand uh, a select few of them. I thought it was an outstanding movie. You're entertained throughout the whole thing. And obviously, uh, the tribute at the end of Paul Walker was tremendous. And we'll say this right now. If you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, be be, be on the lookout because we might be touching on some things that... You maybe don't want to know if you haven't seen the movie just yet. So that's our fair warning. But what did you think of the movie, Dan? I thought it was great. Again, I thought... I I said this after the movie. I thought the sixth one was much better. Uh, I thought the sixth one was phenomenal. But I thought the the seventh one, this this installment of the series, was really good. I thought the storyline was strong. And, you know, the way they did it with Paul Walker not giving anything away, obviously him him passing away midway through the shoot of the movie or during uh, the, the creation of the movie, during the filming and editing of the movie, the way they did it was really phenomenal. And it really was the job well done. It was a really good movie. The storyline was strong. And, you know, they're going to, you know, Vin Diesel went on uh, J- uh, Jimmy Kimmel like 10 days ago, maybe, and hinted on a movie, really said that there was going to be another installment in New York. But it seems like they're they're moving the series into an obviously a different direction with Paul Walker passed away and not able to use that character anymore. Just, just ending this installment of the series, ending this chapter, I guess, of the characters in the film and, the, and their lives. They really did a great job really bringing it full circle. I thought it was a really good movie. And I thought 
you know, as I'm watching it, you're waiting to see, are they going to kill off Paul Walker? What are they going to do? How are they going to go about it? But they never get to that point, and I thought that was the right decision that the, the filmmakers made. You know, it kind of be weird if you lose one of the guys from the crew because it just doesn't happen all that much in the Fast and Furious franchise. You don't really see main characters being killed off that often. So, you know, I, I, I was happy with the way they went about it. I thought it was very cool. As I'm watching the movie, I'm trying to think when they could possibly do yeah, it. Yeah, you were kind of... Th- yeah, it kind of hit me halfway through. Maybe they did shoot enough of this movie to be able to get away with it and not have to kill him off. So I thought that was a job well done by the by the filmmakers of the, of the movie. But listen, I thought that at the end of the day, you wanted an entertaining movie. You got one. You got a movie that you could watch. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a, the greatest movie ever, no, but it was a solid movie, and obviously movie, it's a yeah. big box office hit as it's the highest grossing movie of all time in the week that it was put out. Yeah, it, I mean, I for think that, for that particular for week that in particular April. for the for the first week weekend in April it was the highest grossing movie. But I thought it was interesting the way you know they they had um, the Rock in it because you know he wasn't. As I predominant he, I of a role, he'd be more in it. Yeah, he really, he really wasn't. I mean, he was more in the last couple. Mo- he's been in three movies. He's the in last the beginning two, and then the end. Really. Yeah, the last two movies he was in, he he was in the entire movie. I mean, this really, he really didn't have a predominant role. I guess he, he kind of was in the scene. He came back in the end, but that was interesting. And I, I thought the entire movie was really good. I thought they it was put together really good. And I'm interested. I'm very interested to see where they push the, the series now with. Paul Walker gone and passed away. How would it be something like fat, like the the third one where none of the guys are in the movie? Yeah, when they go to Tokyo. Yeah, get the high school kid if I remember. Yeah, Tokyo Drift, and that, and that was a you know a lot of people say that was the worst one. I mean, it, it depends on what kind of what you you like about the movies, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that was the worst one. But I think they're all pretty good. They all they all have a very unique factor. And I thought this one was much of the same. So it was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. I thought the tribute at the end though for Paul Walker very nicely done. Very classy too. Yeah, very classy the way they 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 did the tribute to him. And and you figured they would do something at the end of the movie. I wasn't sure if it was going to be. I'll tell you what. I was very surprised. Not very surprised, but I was surprised it was before the credits. I thought they were going to do a tribute like that after the credits or something after the credits where uh, an after movie t- tribute to Paul Walker. But they did it at, really as the climax of the movie. The mo- well, not the climax, but the coming together of the movie. The last ten minutes of the movie was really the the tribute to Paul Walker. The last five to ten minutes, so I was very surprised about that. I thought it would be after the credits, something you know where you see the montage and then the four Paul thing on the screen. I thought that would be after the credits, but you know I was surprised that they did it before. And how they were able to piece it together, you find out that they use CBI's of Paul Walker's face over his brother's face to try and make it look. It, it, was it was a great job. It was a great job. great job with what they had to do because you don't know. You think they might have had enough footage to do a rough cut of everything they shot, but obviously the tribute at the end, that's something they had to put in themselves and add that to the film. So it was it was very nicely done. The way they put it together, credit to the filmmakers, did an outstanding job. Well, I think there was a point in the movie, because you weren't sure where the cutoff was, obviously. They said, oh, we were able to film half the movie. Well, what's half? You know, they really were never strict on a time period of how much or, or a time code of what they actually were able to shoot but there was a point in the movie last 15 minutes of the movie you I, I mean for me I was able to to see or, or notice not notice but understand that Paul Walker wasn't in the last 15 minutes of the movie they were able to CGI him in they used his brother they said to to stand in and they were able to to take photos of him from our previous cuts they had of him and CGI and make it look like him in the last 10 15 minutes of the movie and you couldn't even tell it was a great job it was just a phenomenal job by the editing team uh, on Fast 7 because they really needed that uh, probably took hours upon hours of editing to 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 make that perfect 
and to align it perfectly where the average person would notice. The, the start of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to think that they really had to, like, after Paul passed, that they really had to go back to the drawing board and how are we going to finish this movie? And that makes you believe, was the ending of the movie different? Because, if they, listen, if Paul, I'm sure if Paul Walker was still alive, they would intend on an eighth movie being much different than the seventh movie. Because, or the eighth movie being much different than it's going to be now because he's not with us anymore. Yeah. So they yeah, had to really, changes everything changes. The main character well, the well, which makes me think they had to rewrite the entire last part of the movie because I'm sure the movie would have ended differently. They probably had a different, exactly. They probably had, after they stopped the, the, the villains, they probably had a, a, some sort of ending maybe to set up an eighth movie. You never you know, yeah. Paul Walker, you got to change the end of the movie to give him the tribute. That yeah, they you have to change the end of the movie and maybe change the way the direction you think his character is going to go because you didn't kill him off. So the way the movie ended with him, you know, on the beach with his family made you think, oh, you know, he's he's he want he's not doing the fast cars anymore. He's not doing the 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 the, the guns and the and the crime anymore, and the fast paced action. He's going to lay low and be with his family. That's kind of setting up with that he won't be there in the next movie. And, well, of course, we know the reason why he's not going to be there is because he passed away. But for the movie purposes, just the fact that he's going to be with his family and, and, and is moving on to bigger and better things. You're right, Dan. I think everything about the movie, under the circumstances, they did about as good as a job. I agree. As they, as they could do. And for those who haven't seen the movie, I'm not sure why you'd be listening to this show at this point because we just kind of gave you I, a It's a great scene. It's a great scene. So we're, we'll assume everyone listening has seen the movie. I thought overall they did a good job. Let us know your thoughts on that. But... It was very good, and listen, I still haven't seen all the movies. I, I did not see the sixth one. I saw the fifth one. That was the most recent one I saw. So I'll check out the sixth one, and I'll say, but if you say it's good, I'll take your word yeah, for it. Yeah, the seventh, sixth one's very good. For the seventh, that was a very good movie, and if the sixth is even better, then you got yourself the six, a, I thought you the six, some, some good six, movies. The sixth was phenomenal. The sixth, uh, Fast Six was a phenomenal movie. So I, this one was very good, but the sixth one was phenomenal. That's going to do it for us, though. And, Dan, why don't you give your, your Twitter handle a bit of a plug? Of course, at Dan Budick, as usual. You can follow us on Twitter at The Asman Budick Show. My personal Twitter is at Jake Asman. Special thank you to our producer, Jake Chernock, our assistant producer, Jake Goldberg and Garrett Weinberg in the studio behind the glass. And Mike Avensky's here, too. Oh, I didn't see Mike. He came in. He was a late ad. Can't see him from my angle. Mike Avensky doing what he does on the other side of the glass. We thank you for helping us put us, or that, that sounded very awkward, for helping us get on the airwaves. We appreciate it. And for everyone on iTunes, thank you for subscribing to the program. We'll be back soon. We're not on VIC this Saturday, but this Sunday night from 10 p.m. until midnight. We we'll will be, be on. Make sure you call the phone lines. We'd love to hear from the listeners and We'll be doing a live two-hour sports talk show. We're looking forward to it, but thank you once again for listening to the Asmund Budic Show podcast. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Asmund and Budic podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.